The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. From Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening today. I'm very glad that you have joined us. And uh, it's great to get your comments on Facebook. Thank you for liking us on Facebook. You can go to the Spirit of Recovery page there and like us and see our posts. And also thank you for your emails and for letting me know how it's going for you in your recovery and in your spiritual growth. Thank you also for letting your friends and the people that are in your recovery community, your unity community, and your other spiritual communities know about us here on unityonlineradio.org. And it's uh, great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery. It's uh, a real privilege and a real joy. I'm so grateful that I get to do that. And uh, thank you so much, too, for letting me know that the programs that we're bringing you, the guests that we're bringing you are making a difference for you and are bringing you inspiration and information and uh, giving you some good ideas and some good energy to keep uh, growing in your own recovery and in your spirituality. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community. We have guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, lots of times all the above. And we're always bringing you practical information that you can use and discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to us here on Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen through your computer. You can uh, listen through your smartphone. You can listen live or you can listen on demand. We've got lots of great archives. You can find those at unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery. I want you to know that the spirit of recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of someone uh, that's got the disease of addiction, maybe you're in your own recovery as a family member or a friend or maybe you're not. Maybe uh, the person in your life is or isn't in recovery. Whatever, that's fine. We're glad to have you, glad to have you listening. Uh, be happy to have you make a comment through email or through the phone for a question or comment for our guests. Um, on our topic today. 
Also, if you're just curious about recovery, just looking for information, want to learn more, we're delighted to have you um, as a listener and also participating in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor, and I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And um, almost 33 years ago now, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development, and my walk is an integration of the unity principles and the recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing in ever deeper ways. So again, I'm very grateful, excited to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. So today I have a great guest. My guest today is Maureen. Maureen, um, with the support of many people in recovery, is blessed to have 28 years of continuous sobriety and nine years of recovery in Al-Anon Family Groups, the 12-step program for those, um, the family and friends of those that have the disease of alcoholism. And our topic today is Keeping It Green, Spiritual Growth and Long-Term Recovery. And uh, what we know, and Maureen's going to be sharing with us about uh, today, is that recovery is a lot more than just stopping destructive behaviors. It's really about living life on a spiritual basis, realizing that we're part of the human community and that we're called to live with integrity and participation and ongoing progress. So what is it um, that keeps people in long-term recovery? What is it that helps them keep it green and growing and and uh, reaching new Depths of themselves and new participation in life. And um, Maureen's going to be sharing about that with us today. So, Maureen, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you. Very glad, glad to be that here. You're, good. Glad that you're here. So, um, tell us, if you would, a little bit about what got you into recovery. You said you've been in long-term recovery, um, 28 years of continuous sobriety, what got you through the doors in the beginning? Well, I, I actually got brought into recovery um, a, a while before that 28 years. Um, I had um, six years sobriety before this, and I relapsed. I'll talk about that a little bit later. And I had about a year and a half of collecting three-month chips. I didn't have one-month chips at that time, which I'm grateful for because I used to celebrate after I got a 30, 30-year chip, um, which uh, was a little setback every time. But I went to graduate school. I was going to make myself well after um, graduate school way back in the late 70s, and I was intervened on by two women who happened to be um, friends of Bill W. and NAA, and um, they kind of noticed I had a problem at that point in time. Um, I couldn't quite make it about an an hour is my longest time I could make it without a chemical, so I was... uh, going to my car and smoking weed, um, and they apparently could tell, which now I think is really funny because I can tell when people are stoned, but at the time I thought they couldn't. So they took me to my first AA meeting, and um, they actually did an intervention there, which they don't normally do at AA meetings. And then I um, I proceeded to um, go to meetings and not really understand things and not ask questions until I became um, really desperate, and then I walked into a meeting eventually and said, I can't stay sober by myself, and that's still true today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to remember that, um, that I still can't stay sober by myself. 
And I think the easiest way to remember that is just when you go to meetings and when you um, get involved with newcomers and when you stay in touch with them. Just what it's like to feel like you're new. And I'm, I'm feeling really new right now since I just moved from uh, Minnesota to California. So I'm feeling new all over, even though I'm still sober, thank goodness, but I am very new. <laughs> so there you have it. Right. Thanks. That's a, that's a big, a big uh, change that you've just made. And, you know, what struck me about what you just said, Maureen, is um, how important it was in the beginning that you did get involved. And um, as you said, you, you started asking questions and, and getting involved with people, and that's what allowed you to really begin that sobriety. Um, right. Yeah. So... What kind of helped you to break the barrier down to to get involved? I mean, one thing you said was that you got desperate, and that that's certainly a motivator. What else mm-hmm. kind of shifted for you really early on uh, that got you to be willing to get involved and talk to people um, that that pushed you into that? Besides the desperation, which is important, but right. Well, I think there's a uh, really um, a lot of us. There's a misunderstanding. I think that people feel like when they get sober, they're going to feel better. And actually, you feel a lot worse because you are used to numbing yourself. So, you know, when you get sober, all of a sudden you have like a ton of feelings. And actually, you feel your body for the first time in a long time. It's like, oh, hello, you have teeth, you have, you know, arms, legs. Uh, you know, you just have a lot of physical feelings, emotional feelings. I had um, gone through, you know, death of a brother. I've actually lost three brothers to the disease of alcoholism and addiction, um, one before sobriety and two after. And, and I went through those experiences and never cried. I thought that was the norm. And so when I got sober, you know, all of those things hit. And, you know, there is the pain of that. But there's also something that happens. If you hang around with enough recovering people, you start to want to be like them. You can't help it. Why are they laughing? First, it gets on your nerves. I mean, please, give me a break. They're laughing. I'm in pain. How come they're laughing? Um, And then, you know, when you start to see what they have, it's a little part of you wants to kind of start doing what they're doing. And I would do things even though I didn't understand them. I mean, people would say, you know, just, um, you know, ask God to help keep you sober and then say thank you at night. And I'm like, but I don't believe in God. And then people say, well, we don't care. Okay, I'll do it anyway. Um, you know, and so you like so you'd want you'd want that whatever it was it looked better than you know what what I had at the time, and you know I I think we I have all those misconceptions. You know, we think that alcoholics are all in the gutter. Some of us were in the gutter. I was emotionally in the gutter, um, but um, you know we just have this we hold out, and you know it's a, a very very. Um, Wow, it's it's really I think one of the few um, diseases that keeps telling you that you don't have it, you know. So it's mm-hmm. uh, very hard to mm-hmm. start recovery. Yeah. Right, and so you said that now because you you have made a big geographic uh, move uh, at this point in your life from Minnesota, which uh, I I just learned as we were talking before that just experienced its first uh, after fifty days below zero, it's finally above zero in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and now you're in California. That's a big change. <laughs> it is. Probably it is. never been below zero. So how and you said you're feeling a little bit like a newcomer. So what's 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 that about and how are you uh using your program 
Uh, well, I do feel like a newcomer, and even I was just talking to a um, friend who I really value. I actually um, read um, the tradition on anonymity this morning, and then I called her, wanted to make sure before I talked on the radio that I would, would um, follow that tradition, and um, she, she reassured me that I would. Um, and, you know, we were chatting about weather, different things, but I have been going to meetings, and they do meetings a little bit different than Minnesota. Now, I've been to meetings, like, around the world and definitely around the United States. I used to travel for business, but... Now that I'm here, settled in, I'm like, you know, like, this is the same as the meetings in Minnesota. And, like, first reaction is, how dare they? How dare they change the meetings, <laughs> you know? It's the same program, but it's hard to just adjust even to a little thing. Like, they say amen after the serenity prayer. I'm like, wait a minute. You're not supposed to do that. We don't do that. Um, and who says you're not supposed to do that? Nobody, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's, you know, it's going to be fine after a while. And one of the things I think that's um, the gift to me of the program is that I can only tolerate discomfort for a very short period of time. So I've been going to meetings since I got here. And then finally on Saturday, I just said, um, you know, the time you usually hear, they're kind of bigger meetings. And I said, well, we're on the uh, second step. And I said, well, I feel really lonely here because I don't know people to call or have called me. And then Four women came up and gave me their numbers. So that's kind of how it works. You know, if you take a risk, things will happen. So I felt much, very much like a newcomer. I said, hey, you know, uh, I think I need a little uh, support here. And I have, you know, all this sobriety. I didn't say that, but I feel new. <laughs> so let's speed up the process. I need to start talking to people. So right. That's what I did. And right. I got a volunteer job and, you know, doing other stuff too. But, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so it's like when, when it's, you know, that feeling of discomfort, like you're saying, that's, that's always the issue, uh, I think, in, in recovery is that when, what do we do with it when we're feeling uncomfortable? And mm-hmm. uh, when we're kind of lost in, in addiction, whether it's as a family member lost in our enabling other people or whatever, whether it's the substance uh, addiction, the old habit is to, oh, let me do something to make myself numb, right? Right, right. Or not feel, yep. Mm-hmm. Or feel differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. But, in re- but recovery, long-term recovery happens by making different choices. And obviously that's what... Yeah. What you're doing, yeah. taking the risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, and I what? think it's the same for Al-Anon, my Al-Anon program, which I didn't get into until nine years ago. Well, mm-hmm. so I qualified for that, I think, since birth. But, you know, when, you, when I'm taking care of someone else, when I'm living my life through someone else's eyes, when I'm, and I'm not taking care of myself, and I'm, I'm not, I'm just really not, like, um, owning my own, feelings. I'm not being responsible for myself. And, and I've realized in my recovery in Al-Anon um, that it's disrespectful to take care of somebody else, especially when they didn't ask you. you know? um, that's, it's really a disrespectful thing to do. And I actually, um, I was taken to Al-Anon early on in AA recovery, but I was not ready to go there. And as I perceived it, it was a bunch of um, wives talking about their husbands, which might have been a little bit true all those years ago, but um, it certainly isn't that way now. And I 
went actually went down on when my first dog died. Somehow, you know, losing that that um, dog, that kind of person, that was kind of like a person after 16 years, was a prompt for me finally to walk in and say, you know, I need some help with with these kind of issues. And um, that has been a very um, uh, joyful experience for me. I mean, painful, but joyful because I think actually um, any of us that um, you know are in recovery really in some ways do qualify for an Al-Anon program because we're with addicts, we love addicts, we take care of addicts, we work with addicts. Whatever the situation is, we're involved somehow with addiction. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to be an we don't have to be an addict to um, you know qualify for Al-Anon. That's for sure. So right, yeah, that's been great. Very helpful. What is it that um, uh, you get from your Al-Anon program that's different from the AA program? Well, you know, one, it's really interesting to me when I've done, um, over the years, I've done like seven, um, fourth and fifth steps in AA and three in Al-Anon. And when I first um, did my um, my first fourth step in Al-Anon, one of the first things that they say in the fourth step in Al-Anon talks about assets, and they, they actually never mention assets in the big book, fourth step. Um, and sometimes, you know, sponsors will talk to you about assets and other things, not to say they never mention assets in AA, but it's, it wasn't in the literature, it wasn't in the big book. And that's one of the, in, in Al-Anon, they really focus on that, because I think, you know, Living with an addict, loving addicts, it really does take, I think, all, it takes a lot of self-esteem, kind of it kind of beats you up in a lot of ways, and it's really important to focus on, you know, getting back, like, yourself and your good feelings about yourself. Um, you know, they, they make jokes about it, but, you know, about how someone else's life flashes before your eyes when you die, when, mm-hmm. when you're in now and then, but, but you know... <laughs> but it's not that there's really some uh, truth to that, you know. And there's also, uh, you know, just the fact that you are, it's like you thing in some ways. If you are constantly dealing with someone else, you are definitely not dealing with yourself. So, you know, it's not like we do it deliberately, but mm. it just happens. Right. So that's cool. So it's like that focus on, on building a sense of self and self-worth is an important part of the Al-Anon program. Right. You know, and, you know, like I, um, you know, I, I think that it's something that um, for most people that I know, and not everyone had um, an alcoholic that I know in, in Al-Anon um, in their family, but a lot of times they had somebody in their family tree or they had some other issue, you know, mental illness, something else in their family, but caused them to not, you know, be fully present and not be able to be fully present um, to the world, to themselves, and they developed those kinds of behaviors of, you know, like acting as if and not in a good way, but, right. you know, like not not being themselves and... Um, right. Hold on to that. It's time for our break. But when we come back, I want to f- uh, talk about this more. It's important point. Listeners, stay with okay. us. My guest is Maureen. Oh. We're talking about keeping it green, spiritual growth, and long-term recovery. We're going to take a break, but stay with us. We'll be right back. You 
Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to tens of thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you have been served by this programming, we invite you to support it by visiting www.unity.fm and clicking on Donate Now. Thank you for your support. What if you could improve your health one decision at a time? Take that first step and join us each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central and learn from experts in integrative medicine. Awaken to Your Best Health is committed to supporting your personal health through cutting-edge research, education, and practical tips that you can put into place immediately. Make that decision for yourself by saying yes to health. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening. And if you're just joining us, our topic today is Keeping It Green, Spiritual Growth and Long-Term Recovery. My guest is Maureen. Maureen has 28 years in recovery, uh, 28 years of continuous sobriety, and nine years of recovery in Al-Anon Family Groups, a 12-step program for the families and friends of those with the disease of alcoholism. And uh, Maureen is a true soul adventurer, and uh, she has navigated some tricky passages in life with lots of grace by staying close to her spiritual program and to her friends and by uh, continuing to engage in meaningful service and to learn. And uh, she's got lots of humor and wisdom. So it's great to to have Maureen here and be uh, sharing with her and hearing all that she has to say about keeping it green. But before I get back to my conversation with Maureen, I invite you to join with me in a moment of meditation in our Serenity Minute. And I invite you to share with me this constructive idea, which is actually uh, an idea that Maureen wrote. It's, It's a beautiful idea. So I invite you to relax, to take a breath, to open up your mind and heart to the presence of your higher power. 
and share with me this constructive idea. My spirit is strong and I feel happy and peaceful. My spirit is strong and I feel happy and peaceful. And now we take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. I trust that it was an opportunity for you to feel that presence of your higher power, to take a moment to center into that peace that is within you. And so now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Maureen. We're talking about keeping it green, spiritual growth, and long-term recovery. So, Maureen, before the break, uh, you were talking about um, Al-Anon and and about um, about being uh, involved with that, and about how it is that people uh, in Al-Anon are, in, in some sense, uh, some the uh, foundational issue they're uh, addressing is that focus on other people or focus on other things, not being fully present to life. Tell us some more about that. What is that about not being fully present to life, and how does uh, how does that affect our spirituality? Well, I think there's a lot of ways that we cannot be fully present to life. I mean, I think, you know, some of it is just um, not paying attention to the things that are around us, the people around us. Um, uh, I, I think sometimes, like, um, you know, like the, the person who has the most to say in any of our um, meeting rooms is the new person, and that's the person that we need to pay the most attention to. We need to hear what they have to say. I think sometimes, and I, and I notice it because I am newer here when people break, we tend to talk to the people we know, and, uh, and, and not the, the newest person in the room. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just really important, I think, to pay attention to what's going on around us. Um, what you just did about meditation, I didn't know anything about meditation before recovery. I actually had to go in and learn from a holistic doctor how to meditate. Um, and I started out with the own kind of meditation everyone makes fun of, and then I, I learned progressive relaxation, and then I used to actually use it in my work, teach people how to um, do progressive relaxation and, and imaginative relaxation and how to build their dream home and all kinds of things in uh, career planning. Um, taking that time to just be with yourself, um, dreaming, letting yourself dream, daydream, um, walking your dog, you know, having an imagination, um, all of those things, spending time, just being present and, uh, you know, being aware of yourself, um, mm-hmm. just, just really important. Um, yeah, it's a good thing. Right. And how has, since you um, have been practicing meditation now probably for a long time in recovery, and that's great that you took the uh, you took the risk to go and learn how to do it. Sometimes people don't. They just sort of stumble along. But what, how's that made your life different? Um, do you think that if you hadn't taken the time to learn a meditation practice and do that, that uh, things would be different in your recovery, maybe? 
Well, definitely, and and they would have been my children are are adult, grown adults now. But but um, when they were children, they used to hand me a relaxation tape when I came home. So um, it was it made a difference in their lives for sure. Um, but I I just think that um, it, it made a huge difference in my life and peacefulness. Um, and I also think that you know in, in um, meditating we are seeking like something higher you know than ourselves. It is time to just, you know, kind of kind of chill out. I also think that um, other things, you know, like in recovery, like, I mean, having kind of a sense of humor about ourselves is a good thing. I mean, I, you know, one of my, um, well, I don't know if I should say this, but it's really true. When, when I was first struggling with a concept of a higher power, um, my sponsor kept saying, you know, you have to have something to pray to. And I I couldn't actually think of anything to pray to, and I was raised Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic, and I wasn't then. So I used, as a single mom, I used to think of um, dialing up heaven, and Jesus would answer the phone. He was a teenager, and then I would say, Jesus, put your mother on the phone, and then I would talk to Mary, because I figured I'd uh, tell God anyway. But, you know, uh-huh. that worked for me. I mean, we all have to do something that works for us, you know? So that kind of got me through that part of, you know, reaching out to a higher power. And meditation definitely was a way to reach out to a higher power. Uh-huh. Yeah. How has your concept of a higher power uh, changed, if you will? And it, it may be the same. I like that. <laughs> I think I'm going to try that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't have to do that now. I think I'm much more accepting, too. Like, people can say, God, I used to meet newcomers, and I'd greet them, and I'd say, you don't have to believe in God. And then they start saying they did. So then I'd say, carry on then, you know. Uh, and now, like, I mean, that doesn't bother me in the least. Whatever people's, um, you know, concept of a higher power is, like, it's okay. That's that's the way it is, you know. it's uh, That's their concept, and that's fine with me. So I'm, it's good to have one, you know, and even people who don't, that's okay too. Um, it just, I think that uh, I, I've just learned um, increasing tolerance in recovery, and I'm really glad that I haven't, um, you know, come to believe that this is the only way. I also believe even some people get clean and sober other ways, you know, besides 12-step programs, and that's okay too, you know. It's whatever works for them. Um, is a good thing. So, you know, it's kind of just changed my view in in a lot of ways. Um, When I was uh, sober a year and two months, um, my brother John was killed. He was 16. He climbed some kind of like a utility pole and he got electrocuted. Um, And I didn't know how I would get through that. And people, my sister's also in recovery. I'm blessed with a sober sister. And People would came to the wake, and I remember the first one, she tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, I'm Mary, I'm here to take you to a meeting. And that's what they did the whole time. They took us to meetings and just gave us Kleenex and coffee. And um, that, you know, that kind of reaching out, um, you know, it's like, why are they doing this? You know, it's like it was so hard to comprehend early on. And and now it's, I mean, that is, uh, you know, I can't explain it. Those are such... Um, I was going to say godly things to do, and I guess I'll say that. Those are godly things to do. Those are just uh, things that people do naturally, um, I think, in the course of recovery, mm-hmm. is reach out to other people. Right, and that's surely, I mean, such such an important aspect of spirituality is it's not just about going and sitting on a 
mountaintop or anything at all. It really is about being a loving part of the human community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've done a, a lot over the years, lots of service work, and always to me, I always get more back from the service opportunities, whether it's going somewhere, um, you know, institution or, or sober house or, you know, or being with sponsees or hearing fifth steps. Um, I get so much more out of it, I feel like, than I ever give to it. And I used to, when I was brand new, I used to feel, you know, kind of <laughs> like if a sponsee left. And then I realized, like, we are only, like, allowed to be a part of someone's journey. We don't get to walk the whole way with them. You know, that's their journey. We're just a part of it. Um, and that's the gift. Right. So, you, sa- you said that um, earlier um, in the program today, Maureen, you said that you had had a relapse. Tell us about mm-hmm. that because that can be difficult for people. Right. What happened? Well, How did you I, get back? I had those little, little you know, chips that I got in the beginning of recovery. But um, I was sober six years in Ger- and I went to Germany. I had my six-year in Germany, and I drank two days after that, um, and um, I had been going to meetings, and when I came back, um, I didn't want to go back um, to AA, and I, oh, it was awful, it was just awful when I was in Germany, and I was, um, you know, drinking worse than I ever was, and um, when I came back, um, a met me at the airport, and I said, well, I was sober, you know, when I was had six years, and I'm not now, and I tried control drinking for four months, and this Sponsie kept bugging me to give her a medallion, so I did go back to AA, and I was sober again for a year and a couple of months, and I was diagnosed with a chemical imbalance, which probably contributed to the relapse. But, like I said, that I think that, um, you know, alcohol and addiction are, like, the only disease where, honestly, it, it tells you that you can use again, and you know, despite all evidence to the contrary, that you can you can have one drink, you can have one drug, you can you can use again and you'll be fine. And once you use, then the disease takes over. And I was worse than when I left off. I mean, six years my degrees had progressed. So you know that that was um, pretty awful, and it was really really hard to go back, and I don't know if I didn't, you know, have that sponsee, like, just, you know, bugging me all the time to come back to the program that I would have. I mean, I had no idea. All I know is that, you know, I had been so active in the program, and, um, you know, she made it very difficult to ignore her, (laughs) thank goodness, (laughs) um, (laughs) that I got back there. So that's kind of, you know, a good thing. Surround yourself, you know, with a lot of people, and you know, and and uh, make it harder to stay away. Uh, a lot of people, when they, you know, relapse, they, they just have a hard time, and then they say, oh, you know, I used to have 10 years of sobriety, and now I have to start all over. But, you know, it's, you don't lose that time of sobriety. But, you know, we can't go around saying I had 10 years, and I had 8 years, and I had 6 days, and I had 5 days. I mean, we do that to make it easier to understand, you know, where people are, and we have to have sobriety dates. But, you know, because we can't just run around saying all these different dates and it would be very confusing. But you don't lose that time, you know, you're, you were in remission during that time. It's just that to make things clear, we have our last drink, our drug as our sobriety date. But you were in, you know, recovery during that time. 
So I think, you know, once people get over that shame, and, and I felt for the beginning, I'll, I have to have six years before I'll be okay. Well, you can't live that way. So I have to stop, you know. Right. So what was, so when you came back after the relapse, um, and Mm -hmm. that's a great point that you're making is that you still had the six years before you were, you know, you're in remission, as you said, the six years and then, okay, there was a relapse, uh, you were using again, but you're back. So how was that different, um, from being a complete newcomer, you said that those six years did count that you'd had, I mean, in terms of giving you something. So what did you know, I guess, when you came back from the relapse? How did those first six years of remission serve you? What was different than when you were a brand-new newcomer? Well, I, and one of the things I think that I did right away is I, you know, I did get hooked up with a sponsor or my sponsor that I had. I can't even remember it at the time, but I know that I did like another inventory, and I did um, another fifth step. So I did use some of the tools of the program almost right away um, to try to get, you know, reintroduced into the program. And and I think that helped um, lessen some of the shame I was feeling too because even though we might know that it's a disease, I think when we use, we we kind of lose that and we start going back into that judging that it's our fault. You know, we did it. We picked up. We screwed up. Um, you know, it's it's basically our fault, which is how a lot of us feel about our alcoholism addiction. That mm-hmm. we somehow chose to do this, and therefore, you know, we screwed up our lives. And, and sometimes that can be an excuse. You know, like you know, I'm a screw up, so therefore I might as well not even try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so it sounds like when you came back, as you said, that a big part of it was the, that uh, you had connections. I mean, because you'd had the six years initially, there was somebody in your life in recovery that was bugging you. So what an asset, you know, that got you back uh, mm-hmm. in the program. Right. So, yep. yeah. So it's the connections. Yeah. And, go ahead. Right. And well, and I had, you know, people in my life, I mean, I worked... Um, pretty much my whole um, sobriety, and um, people at my job would say, well, we don't know why you go to those meetings, you're just fine. Well, when I started controlled drinking, people were saying to me, we think you should go back to those meetings. <laughs> so I was like, I guess not a very happy um, character during that time. So I thought that was pretty funny. They didn't, mm-hmm. th- you know, they didn't think I should go to those meetings, but once I started drinking again, and uh, was really depressed, even though I wasn't, you know, drinking, um, you know, all the time. In fact, controlled drinking was horrible. I mean, I'd have to, like, plan it out and, like, you know, I couldn't drink too much because I had to go to work and whatever. It was awful. But anyway, I thought that was interesting that they were like, I think you should go to those meetings again. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's funny. Well, they got an education about uh, alcoholism, really, and they didn't even know it, I guess. They were- they were yeah. starting to understand some things about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. But that's great. You make a great point about, you know, that uh, it's a, you know, it's not about a self-blame thing. It's not anybody's fault. It's sort of that thing I, I like to think of, you know, we don't have responsibility for the disease, but we have a responsibility to do something about it to the best of our ability. And it sounds like you you really do that in a big way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yep. And living in that present moment, um, not getting lost and in the shame, but be just getting back there, getting back and, and doing it. And you, you've certainly done that. It's time for our uh, break. Listeners, stay with us. My guest is Maureen. Our topic is Keeping It Green, Spiritual Growth and Long-Term Recovery. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Over 50 and looking for real answers to the challenges and remarkable opportunities ahead? Under 50 and want to know more about the world you'll soon inherit? Then Do Not Go Quietly is a great book for you. Inspiring, accessible, full of practical guidance, this best-selling book has already won three 2013 book awards. It is a call to action and to a life of genuine value for those who weren't born yesterday. Wise woman Jean Houston says it's profound, compassionate, and deeply useful. New thought leader Michael Beckwith says Do Not Go Quietly offers invaluable insights into one of the most vital subjects of our time. So celebrate this precious gift of your life by living the life you were born to live. And remember, you're never too old or too young to live those dreams. Available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and bookstores everywhere. For free downloads, interviews, and a lot more, visit www.donotgoquietlythebook.com. If I were brave, I'd walk the races where fools and dreamers dare tread and never lose faith. How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my guest is Maureen, and Maureen has 28 years of continuous sobriety and nine years as an active member of the Al-Anon Family Groups program. And Maureen is talking with us today about keeping it green, spiritual growth in long-term recovery. So, Maureen, one of the most important things, and I know you're really good at this, is the most important things in recovery is having fun because if it ain't fun, what's the point, right? So, exactly. how do you have fun? 
Well, I do think you have to have fun. I mean, one of the things that I thought was um, the greatest is dancing, and I've been able to do that in sobriety. Um, I had my knee replaced in 2010, and my uh, greatest joy was finding out I could still dance after I had my knee replaced. Um, It was was great to find that out, and I walk all the time, and I dance. Um, I, when I had 25 years sobriety, I threw myself a 25-year sobriety party, but I made it a St. Patrick's Day party because I was having my knee replaced over St. Patrick's Day. So even though it was November, I had a St. Patrick's Day party, and I usually do have St. Patrick's Day parties. Um, and I've had, I had a number of parties um, in, uh, in Minnesota, and I think it's always a good, good excuse to throw a sobriety party when anyone has any time in, in sobriety. From, uh, well, from 24 hours all the way up, but 30 days for sure. Have a party, why not? Um, and uh, we used to get together a lot, like answer phones um, for an intergroup and have a party. Um, I just think that uh, anything you can do, go to the movies together, um, you know, have a movie night, um, you know, bring a meeting somewhere, have a party afterwards. Um, um, it sounds like maybe it's goofy, but it really is fun. Go to the homeless shelter, work a shift, um, get to laugh with people. Um, some of the funniest people out there are the people who are you would think would be down on their luck. They have to, they have, to have a good sense of humor to survive. Um, so just you know, doing things to be around people and getting out of yourself and you know, just uh, finding ways to laugh. There's a lot of ways to laugh in this, in this world. So that's, that's right. One of your one of your quotes that I like a lot is the uh, is this you wrote this the fastest way to get over myself is to put energy into people and things that are useful. So <laughs> you're good at that. You as you you told us to, uh, today you've you've moved from Minnesota to California, so you've got to reestablish relationships and so forth. And you're really good at connecting with people, Marie. You have walked into places and. Just you gotten your volunteer gigs going. So tell us about that. How do you do? How do you get the guts to do that? And what do you what are you doing? Well, I think you have to have. I mean, it's not guts, but I've always done volunteer work, even though when I was employed full time, I always um, had volunteer work, and I had my children do volunteer work. Um, I think it's really really important. I've had a number of just um, really great things happen in volunteer work. I mean, just lessons learned from the people that I volunteer with. Funny things happen. One time, I, I, my friends and I locked our purses in the car, and we had people um, where we were serving meals volunteer to get them out of the car for us. They had experience at that, but we didn't We didn't let them do it. We did have someone bring us a key. Um, we just have shared, like, a lot of things with people in prison, detox. Um, uh, right now, I just got a volunteer um, job at a senior high-rise. That's predominantly Asian, so I'm going to learn something different here. Um, and I uh, was working in a hospital in Minnesota. I had clients there. Um, when I had to leave the workforce, I was really, really, um, you know, kind of hit a mini bottom in my experiences when that happens. You know, unless you start trying to walk yourself out, you're going to be miserable. And one of the best ways to walk yourself out is to throw a rope to somebody else. And, uh, that's a good way to get out of a hole, just start mm-hmm. helping somebody else. Yep. Right. And yeah. I don't even think it's help. It's just showing up and uh, say, hey, what can I do? So that's, that's what I think, plus it's fun. 
Right. And when in the hospital, when you're volunteering there, you you were with people that were going to be having surgery. Is that right? And well, their families. So their families. I worked in the surgery the surgery waiting area, and um, the families were there, and we gave them pagers so that they could, you know, go and eat lunch in the hospital, and then we could page them. And I, I just felt it was really rewarding because it is so stressful to be waiting for your family member going to a surgery, you know, or your or your loved one, your friends, and it really helped to have someone you know, be kind to you, give you refreshments, take you to meet the doctor, tell you what's happening, you know, update you on what's happening in surgery. And sometimes it's just the little things that are really helpful. Um, you know, I also had clients where I went and, you know, spent time with them in their homes, um, and I did office work um, for the group that I worked for. And, uh, you know, sometimes just smiling is like a good thing. You know, someone smiles at you, kind of mm-hmm. makes your day. You know, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. So I don't know. I I just think that uh, you know, like going from um, you know full time work to um, volunteering has been a change, but it's been a good change. And so I volunteered when I worked full time, but now like volunteering is more or less my job. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I like it. Actually, um, there's a lot of good things about it. Usually, people are really happy to see you. And usually don't. I've never been fired, <laughs> so that's good. I was never fired before either. But anyway, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I hear in the background uh, one of your your furry companion, and yeah. uh, you've got a good story about uh, walking uh, your dog and using yeah. your imagination. Well, since I came here, I've gotten lost a few times, um, and one day I got, was lost, just trying to figure out where we were and um, looking to see where the mountains were and um, looked down and there was a $20 bill on the sidewalk. So I figured that um, getting lost isn't always bad. We did manage to get home and then I had 20 extra dollars. Um, and I did get GPS put on my phone, but I, I kind of figured out if I don't use it, I may run into more adventures like that. I may not always find $20, but I'll find a new neighborhood. <laughs> so pretty entertaining. And also is a good stress reliever walking. Mm-hmm. But my dog just barked because the mail came. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I thought <laughs> I heard her in the one background. Of, yeah, yep. one of her jobs. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So um, you truly uh, do uh, have a great way of engaging in life. And I know, as you you said, that there have been some tricky passages um, in your recovery. And uh, you've shared with us again that you keep in touch with people and and use your sense of humor and uh, all kinds of things. What other words of wisdom do you have uh, for people in recovery about navigating those times when it, it, it can get hard. Life happens, you know, yep. things change, whatever. Uh, as soon as you said words of wisdom, I don't have any words of wisdom, but um, I, I, you know, I, I think as um, hard as it is, um, you know, get yourself to a meeting. I mean, a meeting sometimes is easier than calling someone for some people. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's easier for a person to call one person, do something, call someone, and ask them how they are. Don't worry about yourself. 
call him and say, how are you? You know, like, and get the focus off yourself. You know, sometimes people get so worried about what they're going to say about themselves. Just, just ask the other person how they are. Uh, that, you know, I could start a whole conversation. You know, find someone that's newer than you. Ask them to do something. You know, um, you know, volunteer to clean up. Volunteer to make coffee. Volunteer to, uh, you know, do something at, you know, the local homeless shelter. Um, anywhere. Just do something, you know, to get yourself out of yourself. Stay busy. Um, it's, it's those uh, little things. I personally think it's really important when you're really sober to have a sober posse, to have friends that you do stuff with, that you hang out with, that, uh, that replace your old using friends. And, you know, people that you can call, have over, hang out with them, you know, that's, I think that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yep. Make sure you got those, uh, those good friendships going. You know, one thing about you, Maureen, is that you've always uh, really been uh, thoughtful about being true to yourself and making decisions from a place of what's, what's really, you know, your true self. How do you do that? Hmm. Well... I don't know, sometimes it's hard. Um, I think that I've learned when I don't do that, um, I end up in trouble, our divorce court, <laughs> other things like that. Um, so, it, you know, it just makes sense sometimes if I really try to examine, you know, where I am um, before I do things. Um, I don't, you know, sometimes I've taken long periods of time out of my life, like to not be in a relationship, for instance, rather than be in a a relationship where I'm unhappy, or rather than be in a relationship just for the sake of being in one. So sometimes um, doing that has, um, you know, it's been a difficult decision. It doesn't always go with the flow of everybody else, but I have um, stuck with it sometimes when it's been hard. But it's very important to have really good friends. That's important. And that is uh, one of the hardest things about moving is, you know, like temporarily losing those friendships and starting over. That's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, any final thoughts about um, maybe in terms of your move about uh, how you think this is going to expand and deepen your recovery, the fact that you have made this choice to move? Well, I'm learning new things. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's forcing me to reach out in different ways. Um, I'm hoping to begin to write again. I've always started writing and then I don't stick with it. I've signed up for a, a memoir writing class. Um, I don't know. I think it's really important sometimes to be uncomfortable. And I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I don't know why. I just left the tundra. Uh, I'm really grateful about being warm, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I I think that's the biggest thing, feeling some discomfort and, um, you know, knowing what it's like to be new again and having empathy Um for the new people, and we make an extra effort um, to try to talk to the newest people in the rooms uh, when they go to meetings. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. That sounds great. Maureen, thank you for being my guest today, and thank you for your uh, depth of recovery, and thank you for keeping it green and uh, for being truly a, a light and a joy. Thanks for being thank with us today. Thank you for today. Yeah. Thanks. You're glad you're here. With you, Anna. you too. Yeah. Listeners, thank you for being here. Glad you're part of the Spirit of Recovery community and uh, glad you're with us today. Have a wonderful week and we'll be back next week with the Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. culture is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as modern popular culture transmitted via mass media and aimed particularly at younger people. But can it be meaningful? Spiritual even? The hosts of Pop Conscious think it can be, and that it can be fun to explore, too. Melena Dawn and Stacy Macris Ross will be your amateur cultural anthropologists, examining pop culture and spirituality every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on Pop Conscious on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. We know that God is the source of our prosperity, but how do we manifest it in our lives? We simply change our limiting patterns around money, relationships, and health. Then, naturally, our vitality goes up, and so does our cash flow. We start to live with purpose, sharing our unique ability. Join us on Prosperity Power Hour every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time to claim your divine inheritance. Prosperity for all, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders 
to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.